I had a really cool teacher um, in junior high school who was young and pretty and she was new. And so, um, and the thing I remember about her is that she treated me like a human, you know, like she just treated me like, like an equal and somebody worthy of, you know, conversing with. And, and I think I was a teacher's aide in a class. So we had a little different, you know, engagement. And she was from California and same city I'm from and uh, really loved music and was a Springsteen fan. And she turned me on to him. So it was a very kind of, I don't know, I guess romantic in a way. I'm sure I had a crush on her. I can't quite remember, but uh, sure. just a neat way to be turned on to this amazing music. Uh, that was full of uh, a message of not only liberation and hope and just integrity and such, but a kind of a, a compassion and an empathy for, a, you know, certain classes, certain, you know, socioeconomic classes. And, you know, when I look back, I can see how he gave voice to whatever compassion and, and empathy I had towards these people, even as most of me resisted and rebelled against it and was kind of repulsed by it. And I think also it, it amplified that it, I was able to, to connect with more of it earlier on, which, um, yeah, is one of the many gifts Bruce's music provided me with. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of Set Lessing Bruce, your podcast all about Bruce Springsteen, his music, and mostly his fans. I am your host, Jesse Jackson, and joining me today, Todd McFadden, Troy McFadden. God, why am I doing Todd? Already, I just told you I don't edit podcasts, and now I'm like, oh, I need to edit this podcast. Uh, how are you doing, my friend? Quite well, and no worries about the name thing. I've been called worse. Well, um, as someone whose name is spelled with an I all the time, J-E-S-S-I-E, um, I try to get it right. Uh, so tell us a little about yourself, Troy. Well, I work as a corporate coach and an executive oh, nice. coach. Uh, what else is maybe interesting about me? Uh, well, I'm nomadic. I'm location independent to sound okay. more professional about it. Uh, and I take full advantage of that. So I tend to live at various spots around the globe. Is that just because of the gig you end up traveling a lot or? I do travel some for the gig, um, but as I said, it just, um, I'm afforded the opportunity to be location okay. independent and I, I take full advantage of it. What's one of the coolest places you lived? Mm. That's, that's a great question because it's hard to narrow down because I generally yeah. only choose cool places. Okay, well, um, just talk about maybe some places you <laughs> picked and why. Bali is very charming uh, in many respects. Uh, I'm currently in Mexico in a little town in Mexico that's been voted, I think, one of the top cities, if not the top city in the world or something wow. like Condé Nast over the last few years. Mm -hmm. um, so it has its charms as well. I don't know if I've ever had anyone calling me from Mexico. I've done South Africa and Australia, a lot of um, 
obviously Canada, the U.S., a lot of different European countries. Uh, so, but I don't know if I've ever had anyone from Mexico, so I can check that off my map. You, you know? can, and I'm sure there are tons of Bruce Springsteen fans down here. Yeah, that's neat. Um, so where have you always, uh, were you, did your family travel a lot as a kid that got you this bug or was it uh, different? Where, where did you grow up? We traveled a bit and yet I felt stuck in some of the places that we ended up. And I think that's probably more directly responsible for me getting the travel bug and going with it in my life. Um, I grew up in part in California and then in part in Idaho. And there was such a, uh, 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 California came first. So Idaho was a, a very, that uh, uh, came with a big culture shock and not one that I, that I liked. Uh, and that's part of why Bruce's music uh, really resonated with me then and why I connected with it so much at that age and, you know, why it stayed with me as well. What kind of music did your family listen to? My family were, my, my parents were very young when I was born and, okay. and I was born in 1967. So I grew up with the music of the sixties and seventies. I grew up with, with their music, which was atypical for the time because most of the people I went to school with um, were the product, the prodigy of fifties uh, generation parents. Um, right. So, so I was a little bit of an oddball in that respect, in many respects, honestly. And uh, I was always a bit behind the times as far as music was concerned, like what was cool and popular at the moment. I okay. came to like, I came to like years later. And until Born, uh, Born in the USA came out, Bruce Springsteen was probably like the, the most, you know, successful mainstream slash underground artist that there was, right? right. And a lot of sure. people didn't even know about his music or whatever. And, uh, and I kind of feel like I lost lost him a little bit when he got mega popular so quickly but i digress no 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 that's an interesting point um the born in the usa is a gateway album uh for a lot of fans and then of course um some fans tend to now you know born in the usa you know um <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, so I, that's not necessarily something that doesn't resonate with other people. Um, do um, so. It sounds like you never rebelled against your parents' music. You just loved that music as well as they did, right? I did. There was a lot of things I didn't love about my situation, uh, yeah. but the the music I I did, and in particular, um, my dad was a huge Dylan fan. Okay, and so. I became one as well, not because he was one, but I, you know, loved Dylan for, for all the reasons people do and, and sure. all the reasons he did. And yeah. then kind of that singer songwriter genre, basically. Uh, and I guess a little more broadly kind of bread and butter uh, roots, rock and roll. And so, yeah, my, and, and very folky as well. I was always, you know, uh, really drawn to, to that, to that aspect of music as well. So you were, um, just as you mentioned to yourself, like you were a little off, right? Like if everyone else, you got into grunge, you know, when everyone else has moved on to hip hop and you're like, Hey, wow. As an example, right? Like, Hey, this Nirvana people may be pretty good. 
That's a great example. And I actually was living in Seattle when grunge first took off or just, okay. just as it was, or just after perhaps. And, you know, as was the case, even in like junior high school and people were listening to Van Halen and ACDC. And I was like, ah, that's just a little bit harsh for me, you know? Yeah. Uh, and then later I, I came to love them. Well, when grunge first came out, I felt the same way. It's like, oh man, that's just too messy and noisy. And can you tone it down and whatever. And then, you know, at some point I became like, you know, the world's biggest Pearl Jam slash right. Eddie Vedder fan. So yeah. Yeah. You know, there is a subset between Pearl Jam and, and, Eddie Vedder and Springsteen there is I think partly because Eddie is such a big fan of Bruce Mm. and and it seems like Bruce is such a big fan of there so there is that kind of combination which is kind of cool super cool yeah um so um you kind of mentioned a little bit but when did you first really become a fan of Bruce and if you can articulate what about his music spoke to you my pleasure it's kind of a cool story at least to me I hope it is to to the listeners as well um I had a really cool teacher um in junior high school um who was young and pretty and she was new and so um and the thing I remember about her is that she treated me like a human you know, like she just treated me like, like an equal and somebody worthy of, you know, conversing with. And, and I think I was a teacher's aide in a class. So we had a little different, you know, engagement and she was from California and same city I'm from and uh, really loved music and was a Springsteen fan. And she turned me on to him. So it was a very kind of I don't know, I guess, romantic in a way. I'm sure I had a crush on her. I can't quite remember, but uh, sure just a neat way to be turned on to this amazing music uh, that was full of uh, a message of not only liberation and hope and just integrity and such, but a kind of a, a compassion and an empathy for, a, you know, certain classes, certain, you know, socio socioeconomic classes. And, you know, when I look back, I can see how he gave voice to whatever compassion and, and empathy I had towards these people, even as most of me resisted and rebelled against it and was kind of repulsed by it. Um, and I think also it, it, uh, it amplified that. It, I was able to, to connect with more of it earlier on, which, um, yeah, is one of the many gifts Bruce's music provided me with. You know, I, I was I made a note while you were talking. Um, I've been doing this for about six years, and I say that not as bragging, but just there is a I have a fairly good database at this point. And um, usually, if you're from the Northeast, there's a good chance you found Bruce either through a camp counselor in a summer camp or someone who was going to camp with you that that's there's a good chance you know if you're going to make a bet that's where you would do um a lot of college roommates you know someone on the dorm loved bruce but a fair amount of you know teachers uh where you had a um you they had a teacher that you know, be male or female that would have pictures of Bruce on their wall or would, 
work in Bruce lyrics and their stuff and never as much as Jay did with the Mary question, which we'll get to later. But so that's, that's interesting. Um, Cause whenever I see a pattern, I kind of like to bring it up so that then you end up looking for the pattern more, right? Like I had not seen the summer camp until someone brought it. And I realized, wait a minute, this is about the eighth or ninth guy that's mentioned that he heard of Bruce at a summer camp in the Northeast. So that's cool. Uh, um, when you kind of discovered him and because of your teacher, did you go on a deep dive looking for more music? How, what, what was the next step in your fandom? He gave me a mixtape, which I think was all Springsteen or all Springsteen on one side of it. So you can tell how long ago this was, right? <laughs> this was a Maxwell cassette tape. Um, and it was a selection from, uh, I guess, yeah, his earliest albums, maybe up through Born to Run. So okay. there were little, little, little tasters. So I had a, a, a relatively broad overview from the beginning and for financial reasons and and whatever you know whatever other factors were involved it was a, it was kind of a slow moving into it i sort sure. of wore that tape out and then as i was able to you know access maybe my first my first full springsteen album you know i i i bought the one that i thought you know was going to provide yeah. me with the most joy or whatever i can't quite remember how it all unfolded but um yeah at some point i i connected with all of it and and yeah. still do what is your father a Springsteen fan? I think he, he likes him, but he wasn't, I don't think he even really knew about him. Okay. wasn't really on his, his radar until, uh, until I became a fan. Okay. Cause there's obviously the Dylan Springsteen, you know, connection in, in sure. a lot of ways. Um, that's interesting. So um, I always like to preface this Troy with, the amount of times you've seen Bruce perform live is not a fair barometer of your fan. I have a episode coming out in a couple of weeks where um, I had someone who's lived in, you know, dozens of countries. She's traveled. In fact, she tells this great story about when she was 23, she flew from Canada to Paris and then traveled by land all the way to Cape Town, South Africa. Wow. Oh. And she's seen Bruce perform once. And I was like, okay, you've been all over the world. How have you not figured out a way to combine, you know? And she's like, it just never, just never worked out. So anyway, um, so there is no judgment here about how many times you've seen him and the correlation between how big of a fan you are. But have you gotten to see him live? And if so, how many times? What a great story. It makes me feel so much better about the fact that I have only seen him live once. Okay, that's nice. <laughs> that's good. Yeah, it was. It was just because usually when I have someone on, you know, that travels extensively, they will talk about, well, you know, oh, you got to see him in Spain. And oh, you know, I, I you know, I, I was able to take some miles and go to Australia, you know, and catch a legs. And so that's interesting. When did you see him? I saw him on the Tunnel of Love tour okay. um, in Portland. So was it Portland? I think it was Seattle. I was okay. living in Portland, Oregon at the time. And then I, I went up to, to, to Seattle. The, the, uh, the better story, as it were, is, is probably the concert I didn't go to. Please. <laughs> well, I was in high school, huge Springsteen fan. And music was one of my refuges um, 
uh, very, very important to me, as it is for many, many kids, of course. Right. And um, uh, it was the uh, it was the Born in the USA tour, and he was going to be in Seattle. And I can remember a, a friend of mine and I worked at a restaurant, uh-huh. um, and there were a couple of waitresses there that were that were cute and cool and liked us. And you know, when there's a two or three year age difference at that point in one's life, it's like, wow, that's so awesome that, you know, whatever, a 17 year old talks to me. (laughs) And uh, they wanted to go see Springsteen in Seattle. They had tickets um, and you know, the, the, it was just the dream of like, I don't know, you know, if we're gonna, you know, be on a date with these girls or not, but just the whole romantic idea of like, going on a road trip with a bunch of Springsteen fans, being able to see him for the first time, you know, incredible. And uh, my parents pulled the plug on it. Oh no. They they didn't feel like it was safe or they, they didn't understand why, you know, a a slightly older girl would be interested and whatever. And it was, it was crushing. It was heartbreaking. Yes. Um, I have a, um, have you had that discussion with your parents since with love in your heart to, you know, (laughs) Um, that would probably be a good thing to do. And it's not like I hold any resentment now. Yeah. Part of a, part of a much bigger picture. And I had my own very difficult uh, issues with my father as did Bruce. And that was another way that I could really relate, relate to him. And, and again, something he provided a voice for, yeah, uh, but that particular episode, no, it just um, it was kind of par for the course. But uh, it was it, it was a real blow at the time, that's for sure. I've got um, I can't remember when this happened. I think it was this year, but um, Chris was joining me, and um, he told the story that um, you know he's seen Bruce dozens of times, but he said the one that sticks back is that his one of his best friends was living in a uh a complex that where was residential and commercial right so he had apartments upstairs and the bottom were commercial and including a venue where bruce was going to perform and um so he reached out to his friend who happened to be named chris too and said like chris you gotta you gotta get me tickets you gotta get us tickets and like definitely I want you to come but if you only get one you know get it for me all right and so his friend calls him back a couple days later and says I didn't get to do it um I really would have had to sleep with um the lady who's managing the building and I just was worried that's too bad and he goes no no so he says 15 years later every time he sees his friend Chris he brings up you know if you had just slept with her, I would have seen Bruce. I could have seen Bruce one more time. And I just loved that story that he is like, you know, it's, you know, he, he hadn't given up. Like, he's like, go oh, water under the bridge. Nope, he still brings it up. Like, you know. That's great. And yes. So um, a little bit easier with a friendship versus, you know, you don't want to bring that baggage to your parents, especially if you don't have that strong a relationship. Now, sure. You know, my son and I had a tough period. My wife and my son had a definitely period that uh, she gets she gets angry if I bring up Independence Day too often. But the reality is her and my son, Chris, Independence Day was the story, right? Two people that loved each other that just could not communicate. Yes. Um, now that he's 30, 
you know, it, everything's glorious. And, and we still, we, we joke a little bit about those rough times and he will bring up like, oh yeah, but you guys wouldn't let me do this. You know, and we're like, we're, we're sorry. <laughs> we didn't know we were doing the best we could. Sure, you know? of course. So that's, yeah, that's great. Um, so why not other shows? Um, it just, it never worked out. Yeah, it's it's a bit of a weird one because I did travel a lot. There yeah. were surely opportunities I had to see him in, in foreign locations and even in the States. And I used to travel a great deal, you know, yeah. being from the the Amer- you know, the American West, yes. you know, traveling great distances for an event when you're young is yeah, is kind of part of the course, not not unusual at all. Yeah, and I did that. I did that for a lot of shows, but for one reason or another, timing or something, it just it never worked out. And you know, there's a couple show. You know, when I look back, it's like I really wish I would have seen Pink Floyd live. Yes, and I had a couple of opportunities to, and I didn't. And like, why didn't I? You know, yeah, I I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> it yeah, didn't I, happen. I have the same feeling, like. Tom Petty had toured a couple of times here in Dallas and I just never because I wasn't a huge Tom Petty fan it's not like I disliked the music it was just oh you know and then afterwards it's like well damn that would have been kind of cool to see and in fact one of my best friends uh had gone to the show uh when he was in Dallas one of I think might have been one of the last times he was in Dallas before his passing and you know I said Sam how was the show he says it was the show that Tom Petty fans would have hated he said, because I'm a casual fan and he played every song I wanted to hear. And so I figured yes, if I'm yes. a hardcore Terrafetti fan, I'm like, damn it. Why is he just doing these hits? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, uh, I have seen Tom Petty saw, I guess is now yeah. the way to put it, uh, several times. So you are yeah. welcome to one of my memories. Well, thank you. I I'll appreciate share. that. <laughs> uh, have you gone to Dylan with your dad? Not with my father, but I have okay. seen Dylan, um, but a few times, not many, at least yeah. a couple of times. Yeah. Sam, by far, Bob is his favorite artist, you know, followed by Bruce. And uh, but and he went and saw him recently, I guess, in Cincinnati, Ohio. And he said he said a great show. He was, you know, in good voice. But he said he played one what you would call a hit. You know, the rest of the hour and a half was just nothing. And he says, I just. He says, I can just only imagine the people that were casual fans like, oh, let's go see Bob Dylan. And you don't get, you know, you don't get Rolling Stone. You don't get, you know, just nothing, you know, blowing in the wind. Nothing. He says, you know, and um, it just you I always think of the story. Linda Ronstadt was on Johnny Cat. I'm sorry, Johnny uh, Carson. And she talked about that as an artist, when she was touring, she would get tired of singing like Blue Bayou or, you know, something. And she goes, and then I went and saw Frank Sinatra and I had a laundry list of songs I wanted him to play. And she goes, and a light went out like, oh, when my people come see me, they're the same thing as me. And she goes, so I found a new joy in doing those songs because, um, you know, the Joe DiMaggio quote, maybe someone is seeing me play baseball for the first time. And so I want them to see the best. So uh, everyone's concert is someone's first concert. So to have that joy. That's yeah. a cool story. And I, I think that speaks to the, the broader concept of, you know, 
despite all the self-indulgence that can go along with it, you are of service as an artist in that yes. context. Um, and yet, um, how Dylan is that to just do what he wants at this it's point, so, especially, yeah, yeah. you know? <laughs> it is, yeah. Uh, I think Sam calls it the never-ending tour is kind of what fans call it about it. That's right. Yes. Yeah, that is, um, you know, he can make the rules. And yeah. so when you're- He you is know, the rule. <laughs> exactly right. You know, um, the another story I remember telling is- um, I grew up loving science fiction and still do, but would pour through Isaac Asimov collections of short stories in his novels. And, um, and there was, I guess when uh, he was, was going to, he, he thought, you know, science fiction had passed him by, like when dangerous visions, this collection of things. And he says, you know, the fields pass me by. And I think it was Harlan Ellison or someone said, Isaac, when you write, you are the field. And, you know, so I think you could, you know, Bob, when you perform, you are the field, right? You, it is whatever you do is what you want to do. Yeah, you look like you were a big science fiction fan too. It looked like you were nodding your head. That's, that's, that's right. Yes. Um, I, in particular, I indulged in, in Asimov uh, for a several year period of my youth. I just kind yeah. of couldn't get enough. I mean, he was brilliant. It was so imaginative and creative and yeah. So we have that in common. Yeah, I did. I would love his collection of short stories and he would do the little introduction, whether it was it is his short stories or collection that he put together. You really did feel like you knew him and, mm. you know, and he was just so smart and, and, and sharp. Um, so um Talk about your day gig. You, you, hmm. when you say you're a coach, um, what, what often, what kind of companies are you working for and what kind of individuals are you working for, working with? Well, most of my work comes from my association with a company called the Asian Leadership Institute. It's okay. more of an institute than, than a company. Yeah. And they have contracts with various companies and businesses, et cetera. And so usually I'm sort of paired up with, the people that they think I'm a good fit for. Um, it, I tend to work uh, sometimes with C-suite folks, um, most mostly with middle managers and large corporations. Could be automobile, could be pharmaceutical, you know, retail um, people, kind of in the trenches, but with a lot of responsibility um, mm -hmm. in an effort to to provide them with more resources, um, internal and otherwise, better ways to cope, move forward, create balance in their lives. This kind of thing. What is something that you can almost going in blind know that people need help with? Work-life balance is very, okay. very common. And a close second would be managing their relationships with their colleagues. Yeah. You know, I, I, I've shared that I think one of the toughest things to do is that transition when you become, you get promoted and you're no longer a peer, but you're managing people that used to be your peer. Yes. That is really, really hard to find that right balance between, you know, I, I don't want to be a jerk, but at the same time, I, I now have a different role and we have a different relationship. Yeah, that's very common. That's a, that's a rough spot for a lot of people in part because a lot of people are promoted into positions of leadership, not because they've demonstrated good leadership skills, but because they've proven themselves uh, in sales or whatever else. And so it's just kind of part of the process, right? You move up in responsibility and you're given a bit more money and such, but then they find themselves 
not knowing how to manage uh, or lead uh, or thinking, sort of yeah. worse yet, as it were, thinking that they do based on what has been successful for them in the past. Yeah. And there's a classic line in coaching that, you know, what got you here won't get you there. Yeah. And so suddenly people find themselves stuck or overwhelmed or anxious or whatever. And that's usually when we come in to help uh, help support them. It's a cliche, but I think it's true that some of the most gifted athletes make horrible coaches. Good because, example. Yeah, because just go do it. Well, okay, yeah, yeah, right. you know, just grab the ball, jump thirty feet in the air, and just stuff yeah. it in this net. Well, yeah, yeah for you. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, you know, one of my favorite stories is um, they were interviewing John Elway's mother. And she said that after every, you know, junior high, high school game on the way home, John and his father, who is a coach, would go over the game and talk about everything and go over all that. And she goes, and I think that's one of the reasons why John ended up being a very gifted quarterback, because he had that mindset. So they cut to Troy Aikman's mother. And they go, and she says, yeah, we had a rule that after the game, we could not talk about football, that, um, you know, we talked about his sister's things or what's going on, but we had a rule that football was football and afterwards was not, that Troy, you know, needed to have a balanced life. And the guy telling the story is, is look, if you're going to be a Hall of Fame quarterback, you're going to be a Hall of Fame quarterback, no matter what environment you're at, because of your mm -hmm. gifts. Um and I do think um, I'm, I'm fascinated this because I have spent the past 30 years managing contact centers and there's things that, you know, I learned the hard way and, and I continue to learn uh, because um, when you, especially when you join a new company, you know, you, there's a lot of, well, we don't do that here. Or no, we've tried that and it didn't work. And, and you have to have that confidence to go, well, may not have worked before. We're going to try it again because in the past, this has worked and be open to that. Yeah. Sure. That's a big part of it is just being open to new possibilities. Um, even if some of your approaches work, um, maybe there's ways to refine it, yeah. those approaches. So they work better mm -hmm. and or, you know, open into things that are yeah. better still. So uh, how much has this, uh, the pandemic uh, kind of made your life different with all this? Did you do a lot of online coaching beforehand or did you do a lot of personal or, and then you've kind of reversed with COVID? I tended to do most of my work online anyway. So in okay. that respect, um, there wasn't a lot of disruption, although uh, a lot of clients dropped off um, in that first year because of budget issues and whatever right. else. And certainly uh, a bit more on a personal note, um, you know, it curtailed my travel significantly. I was yeah. actually in Southeast Asia when COVID hit, days away from coming back to the States on my way to Mexico, everything was shut down and I was very much ready to leave. And I ended up being there an additional year and a half or two years before, wow. it, was, before it was possible. So yeah, mm -hmm. it's, it's, uh, it slowed me down. Tough yeah. times for nomads. Yeah, it is. It is. Uh, how... What do you just listen to your gut about when you want to move? Yeah, I do ride on intuition often. 
as far as you know where I go and how long I stay and all of that. And even as I say this, I, I realize it sounds very indulgent. Um, the balancing element is that I live in service to others, not just in the context of coaching. I just happen to move around doing that. Okay. Um, I am married. And so often, you know, what my wife's desires are, wishes are, whatever, obviously are a factor. Um, but uh, we also allow each other time apart. Um, right now, she's in Thailand because she's living on the beach with some adopted cats and doesn't have to travel for work as she did before and wants yeah. to stay in that bubble. And I think it's beautiful and wonderful. And I miss her. And this is where I'm supposed to be. That's it. That's a great um that's a great story. Um, I remember the, was it James Mishner had a novel called space, which was Mm -hmm. kind of a, a a reimagination of the space race where he included real, um, you know, people, but then had an imaginary set. And one of them was, uh, one of the guys was, um, his wife went into politics. He stayed, you know, a, an astronaut and they never in the same city. They just would always, and they would just find times together. And I remember reading this at 22, 23, like, man, that just no way that would work. That just doesn't make any sense. And now then at 62, um, you know, I think one of the things that people ask me, well, hey, you know, you've been married for over 35 years. What, what, any suggestions? And, um, you know, I have a couple, but one of them is, you know, you have to have your own space. You have to have, she has to have space. You have to have space and you have to be okay with that. You have to be okay with her having time to do what she needs to do. And she needs to be okay with you doing things you need to do. Yeah, I think that's exactly it. It's an aspect of healthy partnership. And that of yeah. course can take many forms. It's not always as obvious as, you know, being halfway around the world right. from exactly. your, your spouse for months at a time. Yeah. Um, you know, I know that like some couples feel like it's a very bold, progressive idea to like have their vacations separate from each other. Yeah. Um, and uh, my wife and I joke that we only get together for vacations yes. <laughs> and yes. then we live apart the rest of the time. And that's sort of a recipe for success, uh, at least yeah. for us. That's, that's interesting. So um, let's talk about some recent Bruce things. Um, What were your thoughts about Letter to You, Western Stars? A very well-crafted album. You know, I I love the, the, the themes tied in together. You know, I mean, I I wouldn't say it's one of my sort of favorite Bruce albums of all time, but with each album of that nature that he puts out, I'm just, um, I'm just touched a new, um, I find my respect at an all-time high for the craftsman that he is. Yeah, I, I think that's good. I think it's it's interesting that similar to Dylan, at this stage of his career, um, to try something new. You know, Western mm. Stars, very different style album than he'd ever done before, yes. and then you know, Letter to You, putting the band back together, literally and kind of doing a very quick album. Um, I, I think it's really impressive. Um, have you got to see Netflix, the Netflix version of Bruce on Broadway? I did see it. Yes, I did. Okay. 
Yeah. Were you a little like, man, I should have made that happen? <laughs> well, I don't think it was possible when he was actually there live, okay. but I, I, it was obviously a huge success and he kept adding more dates, et, et, et yeah. cetera. And, you know, when I first watched it, I, I remembered, you know, the feelings came up again uh, that I had when Born in the USA came out like, ah, you know, here was here was kind of a treasure that was sort of, you know, maybe it was selfish or something. This is kind of my special yeah. per person. And because he was so honest and so revealing as per his his autobiography, um, it was like, oh, now, you know, now he's kind of the whole world can see, you know, um, yeah this this the real man behind the music um but it's also part of sharing and i appreciated his openness and you know the the showmanship and everything that he put into it yeah i was um going into when they announced they were going to do an autobiography you know i was like you know well, how good will this be and you know what mm -hmm. and i was very pleased with how the style and, and, and how honest he was about his struggles yes. and his challenges. And so I thought it was really, really a beautiful book. Same. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about favorite albums, favorite songs. Mm. What, what are songs that, you know, do you go back to that mixtape that you were given by a teacher and like, Oh yeah, I got to have those on my playlist or are there other songs that have changed? I think that that tape is now broken or snapped or wrapped yes. its way around the heads or something uh, long yeah. ago. Um, I do go back to uh, Badlands because okay. it was on that tape and it really, uh, so I guess it was through Born to Run. Obviously it was into darkness as well yeah. um, because that's just such a passionate, you know, full on, full throttle, open throated, yeah. open hearted Bruce anthem. Yeah. Um, and uh, Jungle Land as well, uh, as far as, you know, impassioned rockers, um, the promised land, all the land. Yes. <laughs> all, the, all, the, okay. all, all, the, all the songs would land in, in the title. Um, and then kind of on the flip side, the sort of yin to the yang, um, uh, I, I'll curl up with Nebraska or the ghost of Tom Joad more often these days as a way uh -huh. to just, yeah, to get introspective and to yeah, just kind of feel the nuances of it. Cause some of those songs, especially on ghost are just so insightful and heart wrenching. And it's just, ah, they're just beautiful in that way. Yeah. Do, um, I, I totally agree. Nebraska, you know, it's just such a nice change of pace album sometimes to put it on. And especially sometimes the mix of, you know, like when, the Seeger Sessions band did a couple of covers or the band will do a full version. Um, do you ever work in Springsteen references in your work? <laughs> I don't know that I have ever, but again, because of his, uh, because of his way in the world, yeah. um, he continues to inspire me um, indirectly, I would say. Yeah. Cause um I had to, uh, I was, I was traveling to the Philippines uh, for, uh, at the time, the company I worked with had a contact center in the Manila. And so um, when I got in, uh, you know, the site manager said, hey, we, anytime we have a director or someone come visit us, 
um, we'd like you, if you're comfortable, we'd like you to make a presentation, just a, you know, 20, 30 minute discussion. We'll do it for the day shift. We'll do it for the night shift. Um, we'll do Q and A. Um, would you be interested? I go, sure. That'd be, that'd be absolutely fine. And so they asked a bunch of questions and they did. And so I did a whole talk on better days that my thought was that to me, the song is about enjoying the journey and not focusing on, well, when I get the promotion, then I'll be happy. When the kids are out of diapers, then I'll be happy. It's to be happy with the journey. And so it ended up being a really good presentation. And now then I always, whenever you see someone on social media, hey, if you had to do a 10 minute TED talk, could you do it? And what would you do? And I go, yeah, I'd do better days. <laughs> so, That's great. Yeah. So what's next for you? Ah, well, a few more months in Mexico. Okay. Um, thinking about doing some wilderness guide training next year in the States. I, I love to hike and backpack and uh, I want to share that with others and maybe add it to my coaching and vice versa. Um, so that's, yeah, that's on the horizon. Um, if the COVID gods are willing. Did you, have you done part of the Appalachian Trail or the Pacific Coast Highway or... Uh, I have done portions of the Pacific Crest Trail, okay, yes, yeah. and spent a lot of time, you know, through the uh, hiking through the national parks and such yeah. of the Western U.S., not so much uh, east of the Rockies. I have to admit to a certain uh, regional bias when it no, comes no, to No, no, there's something the wrong with that. My, uh, <laughs> I have a nephew that um, was um, just searching for himself, and he ended up doing the whole Appalachian Trail. Mm. and kind of centered him and helped him uh and so and then later when he did he did the pacific you know trail mm -hmm. to kind of uh so i guess like I, my thought is i always joke like every five to seven years he needs to okay i need to go off just recenter and kind of recharge my batteries to go back to this and yeah. uh which is not a bad thing not, not a bad at thing all. at all i think the world would be a much better place if everyone uh, did something akin to that every five to seven years, especially yeah. if it allows them to get in touch with nature again. We'd take care of the planet better. That's yeah, sure. we would. We absolutely would. Yeah. Um, what have I not asked you that I should have, Troy? <laughs> I don't know. I feel I feel like this is complete somehow. It's okay, certainly well, been rewarding and enjoyable. Well, I'm glad you did that. I always ask that. Um, I tell the story. Uh, I had a guy on and we had a good discussion. And then after I hit, you know, stop recording, um, he's, you know, I said, Hey, this will be out in a couple of weeks. And he's, Oh, okay. He says, well, next time I on, I'll tell you about when I got drunk with the East street band. I'm like what, <laughs> what, why didn't you lead with that? Yeah. Bury, you, you bury the headline. Yeah. Why did you bury the headline? Absolutely. <laughs> that is great. Well, um, talk to me. Um, so let's go to the Mary question then. Sure. Uh, Jay Armstrong uh, just recently uh, put out a book, uh, the episode. Uh, he has bedtime stories uh, for the living. Uh, it's all about his journey uh, with um, his health and mm -hmm. his family life. It's a great uh, story. He's been on the song, but he used to be an honors English teacher in the Philadelphia School District. And every year his honors English class would break apart Thunder Road and they would look at all the imagery. They talk about the lyrics. They would talk about the themes. And then at the end of two days, he asked his class, this Mary get in the car. 
So Troy, that is your question. Does Mary get in the car at the end of Thunder Road? Such a great question because the an no answer is wrong. Like exactly. it would be, it would not be unlike a Springsteen song to have a non-Hollywood ending, right? Yes, to kind exactly. of end on, on a note of sadness. But I like to think she did because it was such a romantic, passionate invitation that like what girl wouldn't want to say yes to that, right? Absolutely. Some, someone that loved her and cared for her and wanted to have an adventure with her. And yeah, I, I, I'm going to have to say yes, she sure did joyfully, maybe with some reservations, but with, with hope and love in her heart. Very nice. Good. Troy, this has been a blast. Thank you so mm. much for spending time with me. I had such a great time. If someone wants to reach you, what's the best way? Are you Who's on any more? social media? Uh, very little. I think okay. I'm on LinkedIn and I have a fledgling YouTube channel, but okay. wisdomwarriorcoaching.com is the best way to reach me. Okay. All right. Good. Uh, all right. Uh, any final thoughts you want to share? I just want to share my appreciation for you, uh, for, for you having me on, for you doing this podcast so that other Springsteen fans slash geeks slash nerds like us can, you know, can listen and, and, you know, reappreciate his music and such. So thank you so much. Well, I just want to return the favor. Thank you so much for sharing so much of yourself and, and, you know, being okay that we kind of went off on tangents as I warned you, we might, uh, this was great. This is so wonderful. Safe travels. I, I can't wait to, uh, see what you do next. And, uh, if you ever want to join me again and just tell travel stories, I, I think that would be a blast. I, I would love to have you do that. Um, listeners, go get vaccinated. As of today, I am scheduled to get my booster next week. Um, go, in the meantime, wear your mask. Remember to social distance. Let's be kind to each other because that's the only way we're going to through this. Yes. Thank you. Yes. Troy, listeners, thank you. We'll talk to you soon. Goodbye. Doing a podcast at times can be a one-way conversation, and I hate that. So please let me know what you like and don't like about the work I'm doing. You can reach the podcast via email at setlustingbruce at gmail.com. The show is on Twitter, at setlustingbruce, and my personal Twitter is at jessejacksondfw. We have a website, www.setlessingbruce.com. From there, you can find links to other Springsteen podcasts, as well as other music-themed podcasts. We have a page devoted to our own SLB All-Star Band. These are guests who have been on the podcast more than three times. There is a link to our store, where you can purchase Set Lessing Bruce shirts, as well as a Merry Question t-shirt. There is a link to our Patreon page, where you can sign up to help support the podcast financially. We have different levels and different rewards based on your support. If you don't have any extra cash, and right now who does, you can support the podcast by subscribing via your favorite podcast player and leaving us a review. The more reviews we have, the easier it is for people to find us. And please tell a friend about the podcast, especially if they love Bruce or music, because it will make a difference. You just heard the fun talking, hard rocking, music loving, album ranking, fan thinking, joy spreading, lyric reading, story sharing podcast that is the one, the only, said Listening Bruce. The theme 
for Setla Bruce was written by David Rosen, used by permission. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 